Alright guys, we're back with an episode on nature and specifically getting out into nature and the importance of camping, hunting, recreation, all those kind of activities. Um, this is kind of an idea we talked about a few days ago on the primitive hunter versus the modern woodsman and how both kind of archetypes and both ways of living are really valuable um, and that we as human beings, just like every other animal, are built for the wild. Or at least we were. Yeah, so. we're, we're built for the outdoors. We evolved yeah. in the outdoors. We came from the outdoors. But now, not too many people make the time to get out there. Mm-hmm. We've, we've lost touch with that, and it's, it's difficult for people. Um, not only from where they live, but just physically, too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of children are growing up in households where their parents don't know how to camp. Yeah. So they're not being taught. Yeah, it's a, it's a skill, and it it can be physically demanding, too. Mm-hmm. Very physically demanding. So let's kind of break down, before we get into this, the, the difference between the primitive hunter and the modern woodsman. So you can start off with primitive hunter. Okay. So the primitive hunter, I want you guys to think about don't don't get caught up in a certain region because again primitive hunters lived all over the world mm-hmm. so they weren't just european they weren't just native american they were all over the world and the thing about primitive hunters is they were extremely spiritual and they were mm-hmm. extremely connected with nature so they didn't view nature as separate unlike civilized religions they thought that all spirits and all animals had, or excuse me, all animals and all plants had spirits. And, and all, and like, ma- like just matter, rocks. Exactly, yeah. rivers, uh, everything was sacred to them, and they were a part of that, and they came from it. So they didn't live behind walls and cities. They didn't view themselves as separate. So that's one huge distinction about primitive hunters that I want all of you to realize. And they also lived in this environment. So they understood the relationship to the landscape, to the weather patterns, all the animal and plant life. And another important thing is they were extremely connected to their tribal members. Mm -hmm. So a primitive hunter wasn't a solo hunter. He wasn't like a modern day hunter that could go out with a rifle, maybe one or two other buddies and bring home an elk. Like he needed like 10 guys with him mm-hmm. and they all worked together. They had extremely close uh, communication with each other. They, and they grew up together. So these guys were friends. They were, they hunted together. They trusted each other. And, and again, there's, there's also female hunters as well, depending on the tribe. So this wasn't just a, a masculine thing necessarily. Uh, so they had extremely close group dynamics. And on top of that, they also understood the culture of the tribes around them. Mm. So not only did they understand their own tribal ways, but the others around them. So imagine a Ute living in southern Utah. He knew a lot about the Navajo. He knew a lot about Apaches, the Comanches, the Kiowa. He fought wars against the Lakota. Like he understood how they hunted how they practiced he understood them just as well as as his own tribe so he had an extreme understanding of other tribes cultures Mm. whereas the modern woodsman it's seasonal you know Mm -hmm. he goes out during hunting season or like he goes out during bow season 
he lives out of the elements. He has high-tech gear, and often he's he or she is spiritually disconnected. Yeah. So, and that's you know that's not always true. Mm-hmm. Matt and I like to think we're we we try to be more spiritually connected to the land. But it's hard when you find trash and yeah bad fire pits out there, and some of the people that you see on trails, you're like, okay. Yeah, and they're they're there more for their Instagram picture than they are to actually connect with the land. Exactly. And not that, you know, it's, it's, it's great. That, yeah, it's great. Yeah, totally. Okay. Take, some, take some photos, but it's really try to connect and not just... Trails are treated, treated like museums, nature museums, that you walk on the trail and then you're just like, oh, look at that. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. And then you don't really connect with what's around you. Exactly. Another thing with, like, the modern woodsmen is they're also bound by regulations modern regulations of land divides so private land versus blm land or state trust lands and so they're they're bound by seasonality so regulations on when they're allowed to do things mm-hmm. and where they're allowed to do things and today it's like I've gone on some like short little trails and I see people wearing masks and stuff and I'm just like, oh my god, I can't escape it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, yeah. So there, yeah, there, there's a, there's more of a construct put into nature now, and there's this idea of the leave no trace, and that's kind of a really shallow way of looking at it, and most people haven't even taken the class and they just say leave no trace and they think it means like don't interact with nature at all whereas for nature to act like an ecosystem to work there needs to be a give and take an interaction and so biologists know this and the people who create hunting regulations know this and that's why we take deer and we have a certain allotted limit of how many tags of deer elk bear mountain lion whatever it is there's a limit in place for a reason and it's because biologists have studied the the breeding patterns and the population growth of these animals and if we didn't take them there would be nothing taking them and so they would start these deer elk whatever they are they would start impacting the landscape and then your whole leave no trace thing would go out the window because the land would start to deteriorate because there is no predator on the landscape any longer and so predation and the taking of life has always been part of this planet and will always be part of this planet. Mm -hmm. And so primitive hunters intimately understood this and modern hunters know this because of regulations or at least they have an idea about it. And so that's something that they do share in common is the idea that we are woven into the fabric of life. We are part of the ecosystem. We're part of the ecosystem. And it wasn't until humans became hunters and recently like the apex predators mm-hmm. that like regulations have had to be there. You know? Yeah. Like, and without a doubt, humans are the world's apex predators, not necessarily because of our physical stature, but because of um, just our ability to kill animals efficiently. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the biggest aspect of that is, teamwork and communication and that's one thing that i mean of course there's wolves and i know like killer whales kind of communicate they kind of hunt in packs but not to the extent that that humans do you Mm -hmm. know like wolves can kill animals that are slightly larger than them 
uh, killer whales don't kill anyone. They they feed off of smaller like seals and otters and stuff. Whereas humans can take mammoths. Mm -hmm. They can kill elephants. They can kill moose. Like animals like 10 times the size of them. Mm -hmm. And we can, going back to our last podcast, when you had talked about our our ability to think about the future, Mm -hmm. that allowed us to communicate about like, hey, we we see deer here all the time. Yeah. Maybe we can come back and like hunt here next season or later. And so that's that's that communication that allows us to really efficiently learn landscapes. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there were three main adaptations that humans went through to become some of the best hunters. And these three areas are our are, are shoulders. So how many animals out there do you know that can throw stuff accurately? Nah, not, not too many. And so we're able to rotate and articulate our shoulders to link up with our eyes and our vestibular system. And we could gauge and judge how we throw objects. So we could throw a rock or a spear and be like, well, okay, I threw a little bit high on that one, so I'm going to throw it lower. And then we could practice that and we can get good at it. And so humans were able to throw spears or throw rocks at animals and use it pretty efficiently. No other animal can do that. And and do it with, like you said, accuracy, but also an immense amount of power. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, you look at a major league baseball player Seriously. throwing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. Yeah, or like look at an Olympic track and field athlete that can throw a javelin mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah 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 imagine an olympic athlete throwing a javelin at you like that would kill you oh yeah <laughs> like, and if he missed like eight of his other buddies were running after you <laughs> and so that was one of our main ones but also our, our upright posture and this is for running and tracking herds so again being able to roll up on a, a buffalo it's like if one of the those hunters gets his spear or javelin into that animal it's just a matter of time they don't have to kill him there if they get an arrow or a, a spear in him he's going to start bleeding and so at that point it's just a matter of tracking it mm. and walking a long distance and so we were able to run up on animals and then throw a spear in them and then track them down and wait for them to die um i've read some things on subsistence hunters and i like to think that, that that was a main strategy for hunting but it, i don't think it was very efficient from well, what I, from what i've read on these tribes they would have to run sometimes six to eight hours uh, following animals and like that's one thing but as me and native talks about like you got to get that meat home to feed everybody so it's how you how yeah. are going to run six to eight hours out there mm-hmm. the verge of exhaustion and then take that animal all the way back. It, it's not... It's, most, it, it wasn't a preferred method. No, like you could have done it, but... It, it, it was very exhausting. Exactly. And it's and to think, and put it in today's context where we have the most... If you're going to take life, we have the most humane methods ever now. Yeah. A, a gunshot is mm-hmm. more humane than a rock to the head. Yeah, today, that's like the so, equivalent of like we're in Denver. That's like driving to Colorado Springs to go to a grocery store. It's like we yeah. could do that. But that's dumb. Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's it was brutal on the animal and brutal on the person. Exactly. So, but we definitely did run and track herds. I don't know about the subsistence hunting necessarily. If we had to, um, our third area was that our eyes allowed us to communi- communicate non-verbally, unlike mm. gorillas or other apes. So, if you look at other apes, you know, they have very very dark eyes, and so humans were able to make eye contact and like a hunter could look at his 
his one of his um someone in his hunting party and like make direct eye contact and then he could point over there and be like you know he could say like oh they're over there like he could be pointing and they could look back and they could make sure that they're on the same page and they could really really effectively track down and especially if they painted their faces different colors so imagine like you know like viking looking war paint you you take black you know ash and you spread it across your eyes now your whites of your eyes are extremely visible mm. and there's a couple badass scenes in like dances with wolves where some of the natives like have war paint on and like you could see their eyes really really visible so mm. I, I feel like that's a strategy that they could have used as well to communicate and so these three things really allowed humans to become really really awesome hunters and we were able to kill very efficiently and mm. very effectively and think if it was uh, you know when we go hunt in the winter time you make a kill and like you just leave the meat there like you don't even have to put it in a fridge or it just lasts a very long time so throughout the winter they could kill these animals and just have it hanging from a tree and I, and often they would just apply some smoke yeah let smoke hit if it they needed some it salt to, yeah. and then just that would keep bacteria off it mm -hmm. that's a really common method still used today from like traditional peoples in siberia will hang meat light a fire near it not directly under it near it so the smoke hits it and it just keeps things off of it mm -hmm. keeps bacteria off it keeps bugs off of it um and i mean another thing i want to get into as well is not just our adaptations for hunting but i mean the tool making allowed us not only to become better hunters by making better tools but allowed us to survive in every environment we figured out ways to create mm -hmm. shelters out of all kinds of things and our bodies became adapted to be in cold heat you know rain snow like whatever it was tropical we, environments tropical environments and so we became so widespread more so than any other animal like where we can really like just diversify yeah. our hunting grounds yeah if you take like a siberian wolf and put him in like the mojave desert he's dead yeah you take a human and they might die or they could thrive. They yeah. Could figure it out. He could take his knowledge of the land and like his, he could take his spear and his feral rod and mm -hmm. he could go get some animals and mm -hmm. be fine. Yeah. So I think that, I think it's really fascinating that we were so adaptable, more mm -hmm. adaptable than any other animal. And so take that into context now in the modern world. It's like, if you live in a big city, it's like we're adaptable. It's like you need to be able to get out of that city and mm. go explore into nature and like understand it. And well, otherwise you are adapting to the city. Exactly. And we talked about this in our movement podcast where you have now adapted yourself to a chair mm -hmm. and adapted. You're, you're really efficient at sitting in chairs. Your spine's tucked under. Your head leans forward so you can see the screen better. And you, you, your body adapts and shape shifts to your environment. Mm -hmm. um, so if you give yourself the environment that we evolved in more often you're going to see and feel more robust health and not just that you know you have the that spiritual part of it too that's going to awaken in you and you you kind of tie all those pieces together in nature it requires all of it mm -hmm. it's it's like uh biohacking <laughs> you know but the real thing exactly and there is a reason why jesus buddha and muhammad all went out into nature so buddha reached enlightenment in the forest underneath the bodhi tree mm. jesus went to meditate in a cave in the judean desert for 40 days and 40 nights after being baptized by john the baptist 
And there's, I like a quote. I'm not going to quote the Bible very often, but from Mark chapter 1, verse 12, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So as soon as he got baptized, Jesus was like, I'm going to the forest or I'm going to the desert. Mm. You know, like he had to get out and he had to go meditate. Um, and Muhammad received his revelations from God meditating in the cave of Hira outside Mecca. And that's an ancient holy site. And every year, thousands of followers journey out there to go to this cave. And I really think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. Like, I personally have had extreme, you know, experiences in nature that I would have never had in mm. the city. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we're trying to get across is the, the potential to reach levels of spirituality in nature yeah. that you can't necessarily find in a city or in a church. Yeah, and, and the reason that we bring up the, the primitive hunter and the modern woodsman is it's it's an easy entry point to become more of the modern woodsman. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to be more prepared, be out in nature. You've got GPS, you got good equipment. You know, you understand weather because of technology, not because of observation. Um, but taking the lessons of our ancestors and those primitive woodsmen, those primitive hunter gatherers, incorporate that into your nature time. Because, like learn some traditional survival skills learn how to start a fire with yeah. some sticks like that it's gonna awaken something in you that is so old yeah. and so wise that you would never have experienced otherwise and so like merge merge those two things together because there's a lot of benefits to a big lighter it's really useful oh dude, but yeah it's really rewarding to learn how to start a hand drill fire. Mm -hmm. So it's like having the skills, but knowing that you have the backup of modern technology, mm -hmm. much like nutrition today, you know? Yeah. And so that, that's something that we kind of want to drive home is become that, you know, modern neo Aboriginal, like <laughs> the new, new hunter gatherer, the modern hunter gatherer. And that's, it's like a, it's a powerful way to be in nature knowing that you're you're trying to become as physically capable as our ancestors which we will probably never achieve that but you're you're striving towards it mm -hmm. and a, another big difference too with that primitive hunter is they the the land was their teacher because they were there all the time so like you said you you had mentioned how you know they have an intimate knowledge of weather patterns animal and plant life and that's because they just spent time sitting there and so Matt and I were on a hunt recently, or two hunts recently in the same area. So we've been there three times now, last year and the year before. And we know that land so well now. And it's pretty amazing all the lessons I learned just from being there. I'm like, wow, like I really am starting to know this place. Now I was, I was thinking about it, like, what if I, I lived there in this hunting ground? Like just live there year round didn't get to leave you know i'm there yeah. how well i would know i'd be like oh like the deer always travel right here like mm -hmm. this time of year you know when like the sun is at this angle like i'm gonna see it. i mean like you would you would know through observation but now we don't necessarily have the chance to do that it's tough to do that especially in the u.s with like modern life and so we have tools at our disposal and websites and forums and different communities that can help you learn it at an accelerated rate but it's the Western reductionist take on nature versus the actual true experience of being in it. Mm -hmm. 
And so the more you can be in the same place is really valuable. Like I love to travel, but I've really loved the idea of learning where I live better. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I'm all for going on vacations. Like, I, I want to go to so many places, but at the same time, it's like we live in Colorado. Like, you could spend a lifetime exploring Colorado. Yeah. It's oh cool. my God. Yeah. And in just one spot, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I lived by a park called Alderford Three Sisters Park for about seven years, and I also went to high school right next to that park. So I've been to that park easily three thousand times. Like so much I grew up by it and I know it so well it's absurd you know it's it's like part of me like part of me is on that landscape and it's this massive amazing park Matt's been there a bunch of times with me and it's it's really cool to go somewhere and be like oh let me take you over here and you know how to get to every single part of the park from any part of the park you can be anywhere in the park and know how to get to a different part of it and it's you know 1700 acres you're like oh I'm here like we're gonna go that way and we're going to get to this rock. I want to show you this one rock, and I know how to take you there. Like, that's a really cool feeling. And instead, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to take you down 17th Avenue. We're going to hit on, get on Colfax. I'm going to take you to the shop. And it's like we, our, our minds that were adapted to learning landscapes now know cities really well. And now with GPS it's like and Google Maps, it's like most people probably don't even know how to get around. <laughs> no, probably don't even know how to get around a city, yeah. Yeah. And so the navigation piece is huge, you know? Mm-hmm. Like we're we are amazing navigators. Oh yeah. And it's when when I go out with into nature, like hikes, when I like take buddies out and we're like in the backcountry kind of wandering around off trail. It's interesting because a lot of people that don't get out in nature, they have no sense of direction. Sense yeah. of direction, yeah. really. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I've old, like when you're out, when you grow up going to nature, like like you know, the sun rises in the east and mm-hmm. midday it's in the south. Is what travels in the southern sky and it sets in the west. And like I, I've always been trained just to just look at the sun. Mm-hmm. And okay, every day I, I know that's east. Mm-hmm. If you know where east is at, you can figure everything else out. And like when I'm out there walking, I'm like, okay, right now we're going south. Having that, like that, that general bearing, but so many people just don't know anything about that. Well, not, and not just that. It's like the, like a feeling in your body of maintaining where you've been pointing yourself. Like bearing, yeah. You know, literally like, okay, I had, like, maybe it's not southeast or north, but you're like, I moved straight this direction and then I turned right. So I know that the road or my car is back there. You know, it's like just having that, like, it, mindfulness mm-hmm. while you're walking to yes pay attention to the sky pay attention to the trees and to the high ground yeah and, and but if, pay attention to where did you turn right or left and like <laughs> that's the thing about a trail is like when you're on a trail you don't have to worry about that because you just yeah. take the trail back yeah it takes the mindfulness out of yeah. it but it if you're out there in the wilderness without a gps and you're navigating mm-hmm. it's like you don't have that to fall back on yeah and i i would encourage you anyone listening to go to a park that you know somewhat well or you know of it and you know it's relatively safe um to try and go without a gps or anything and just like fully explore and get back to your Mm -hmm. you know where you need to go yeah and just practice it because gps's are useful and they're really valuable especially when you know like you're when we're hunting and there's three feet of snow on the ground and you're like, I, it's a good idea to carry one. Or when it's dark when we head out. When it's dark or you, you want to have radio communication. These are all modern tools that yeah. are really there to help keep you safe more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Because 
you're out there alone, you could easily slip. Like even if you're the most conditioned and you're, you have years of experience hiking, like we have a lot of experience hiking and camping and doing all this stuff. It's really easy to make a mistake and hurt yourself. Yeah, because we don't live in nature anymore. And, yeah, and even yeah. the guys who did live in nature, I'm sure like they had a buddy who slipped off a rock. Oh yeah, broke his ankle, and he's like, "Shit, okay, now I gotta get out of here." <laughs> like, so it's nice to have the the safety net of modern technology. Yeah, and that's kind of the goal of this podcast is to help make it aware to you listeners that getting in nature is tough and. Or it's important, but it can be tough depending on where you're at. Mm -hmm. But that isn't necessarily an excuse, you know, Mm because like it's it's tough to get out there, and like you need to make time to get outdoors. And if you're busy or you just don't have the time, that's that's your fault. And in my opinion, there's like just because me and Nate are so adamant about it, and it's part of our life. It's like it's it's necessary to make time to make the sacrifices. Well, it's it's. And it kind of is our our culture works against us in the sense that we put work before living. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the fallacy of pleasure. And I want to make a challenge to you guys. It's like we all want to go on vacation, right? And like it'd be so cool to go to Kauai and stay in a resort, or go on a cruise, or like go to the Mediterranean and go to all these nice fancy places and stay in a spa. It's like go backpacking for five days. Oh yeah, like go test yourself go grow instead of overindulge in pleasure and comfort Mm -hmm. it's like go spend time in the forest like instead of going on this plush vacation cruise drive to the mojave desert go to joshua tree like go somewhere badass and challenge yourself and find yourself there's so much more value and it's a lot fucking cheaper it's like people are like oh camping's so expensive it's like dude you just spent like four grand to go on a cruise to hawaii yeah and it's ultimately (laughs) The, whatever kind of pleasure you're looking for, like that's, I'm most happy when I'm in nature. Yeah, me too. You know, yeah. like I, w- I went skiing yesterday and I was like just in a great mood yeah. all day, you yeah. know, cruising through the mountains in the snow. Like it was amazing. Yeah. And it's kind of like the fear of going to the gym or like the fear of like rolling jujitsu initially. Like that's how the outdoors is. Like once you get used to it like it's not a hard thing Mm -hmm. it's like you love it you crave it you want to do more of it yeah when it it builds a not to sound kind of cliche but it does build character yeah you know it sometimes yeah it can be really challenging especially if you're going on like a hunting trip and you're up at four and you've been kind of cold all night a little bit and then you wake up to go hike in the snowstorm and then you're like all right sweet or when it rains in the summertime Oh yeah, it just sucks. It's just like God. It's cold. I'm wet. Like, I yeah. I I like. I in a weird way like love it. Yeah. No. It's, it's cool. Like, it's yeah. cool. But I, I have memories of being a kid being like this sucks. Yeah. When you're <laughs> well, and I think like for that. Okay, that's a great point to bring up. Get your kids outside. Yeah. Early, early yeah. on, because the older they get and the less experience they have in it, it's going to be much tougher for them oh, when yeah. they're older. Yeah. And there's this hunting trip when I was in high school. Me and my dad were in southern Colorado, and we're sleeping in a tent, and it's like November, and it snowed, and I just remember my dad waking me up. He's like, Matt, get up, and like he gets up and gets all of his, his boots and stuff on, and I'm like laying in my bed like, are you kidding me? And like he oh, he unzips the tent, and like snow falls in. Yeah. And I was like, I was like mad at my dad for bringing me there. Like, <laughs> God damn it, why did I have to come here? <laughs> like, you know? I'm yeah. like 16, and... 
but that's the shit like that was a blessing like that was a gift mm-hmm. it was like getting dragged into that mm. and it was an epic con but it sucked it was cold i mean but it was badass like my my cousin got an elk we brought home me we cut it up and like it was it was epic but those are the things you remember exactly like so much more so like so I went to, to, to give you the reference of like that like fancy Hawaii vacation you know like I went with my folks to this like dope resort I mean it was sweet but I was 14 but I don't like remember what we watched in the hotel room <laughs> I remember hanging out in the ocean on the beach getting slammed up by waves like that's the part of the trip yeah. that I remember is the part where I was in nature mm-hmm. like the part where it was like having a blast mm-hmm. not the part where i was laying down in a hotel room <laughs> like that's not the fun part yeah and so like but like people go to these tropical places because they're like oh it's like a safe version of nature you know like beaches are like relatively safe like it's warm it's sandy people can be barefoot it's like well you can do that anywhere in nature it's just it takes in some places like the mountains it takes a little bit more work so mm-hmm. you have to be a little bit more durable to do it exactly and if that stuff seems like too extreme for some of you, like think about long term, make a goal, be like, okay, in like three three years, I'm going to do something hardcore. But until then, I'm just going to go on trail runs. I'm going to start mm-hmm. losing weight. I'm going to start weight training, or like get yourself prepared for that mm-hmm. because no one is not fit enough to go outdoors. Yeah. Well, and that's and that brings us back to the the modern woodsman and the primitive hunter because the modern woodsman can go out with an ATV, mm-hmm. barely have to walk around, yeah. take a thousand yard shot at something, or you know, just like literally off road. You see guys who are like, "Oh, I love nature," but they only four wheel drive. Yeah, they off road and stuff. Yeah, and so they're like driving through it, sitting the whole time. Yeah, I'm like I like off roading, but I really like hiking a hell of a lot more. Yeah, it's like. Me and you go out, and if we get the chance, we'll like go on a trail and off road a little bit. Yeah, like we don't go out there to just off road. Just to do that. Yeah, it's like I want. I like. I like to pick. I my ideal situation is wherever I'm camping or hiking has an off road trail to that location, mm-hmm. so I can like romp a little bit, and then I can camp there, and then go out hike and get around in nature. I'm like, oh sweet, I got to romp a little bit in my truck. Exactly. But like, I'm not just going there for that. Mm-hmm. And whereas. The primitive hunter, that work capacity, you know, is huge. They're they're able to get themselves into. I mean, they're they're always in this incredible shape of endurance. You know, they're they're able to just go all the time because they're always walking, always moving. It's like this nonstop like continuum. You know, like we've talked about before, this continuum of movement that their work capacity is through the roof, mm-hmm. and so that that training aspect outside when or outside of nature when you want to stay healthy and stay in shape like have that hobby that gets you out in nature that when you train it's it just it's geared towards it 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 enhances your experience outside Mm -hmm. or in your sport or whatever it is but you know ideally in this in the nature setting yeah and there's so many ways i mean there's so many outdoor sports that you can get into to help get you out there Mm -hmm. and the cool thing about camping or doing like let's say you go out mountain biking or kayaking it's like you do those events you do those sports but then when you come back to camp at night 
or or early in the morning before you go out on the trail it's like that's when you have the spirituality time like when you mm-hmm. can connect with the fire you can take your shoes off you can look at the stars like laugh with your friends you can laugh with your friends and like that's the true beauty about that like that's why i love mountain biking and stuff is like they get you out there and then you could just like really connect and really find yourself find mm-hmm. who you are mm-hmm. and that's where i think most of the benefit comes from and not it's tough to do that in the modern world like we're all stressed out you can't even go anywhere without a mask anymore you can't you know it's all like half capacity you can't do anything it's like nature is a sanctuary like go to it like Mm -hmm. it's calling all of us and i really think that if more people made time to get outdoors there would not be so many issues with depression and anxiety and mental illness Mm -hmm. i I really do Mm -hmm. i agree so we I have like a little bit of a like a gear list I want to reference for people who want to get started. But before I do that, it was based a little bit on shelter, water, fire, food, which is what our friend Rory, who we've mentioned many times on this podcast by now, and so we definitely were going to have him on. We're going to do a recording with him. Um, but he he drives that home to us all the time. Shelter first. That's that's the order. Shelter water, fire, food. That's the the order of importance. Because yeah, if you have water and you're hydrated, great. But if it's negative 20 out, doesn't matter. You yeah. can be as hydrated as you want. All The water in your body will freeze. Mm-hmm. So shelter first, my viewpoint on that is a good sleep system. Yeah, that's the priority. Like yeah. if you go camping, if, I, if you forget one thing camping, you can get through unless it's your sleeping bag. I mean, you yeah. can, but you can get, it's, it's going to be tough. It's yeah, be so how, and again, like, when I say sleep system, think about it your way. Do you want to be more of the primitive skills, ancestral guy or, or gal, or do you want to be more of the modern version of that? Like, that doesn't matter to Matt and I. Like, whatever you like. Like, Rory's, like, wool blanket and a pile of sticks, and, like, and it works. I did it with him. Yeah, and, he's done some crazy stuff. Yeah, I did this backpacking trip with him, and we slept on a duff pile, which is all the droppings under a tree, and with just a sleeping bag, and it was this pile of literally like sticks and twigs and it was actually really warm and but you know that you can do the wool blanket method do that or you can get a nice sleeping bag and so whatever your sleep system is something that'll keep you warm and dry and a little bit out of the elements at night so whether it's as simple as you build your shelter or you bring a nice backpacking tent whatever you do yeah and there's a lot of pretty sweet tents you can get out there oh man so many options yeah yeah and the next one is a stainless steel water bottle so this is really important because... You got to go stainless steel. Got to go stainless steel. It's not going to break on you. It's only a couple ounces more than plastic. Mm-hmm. It's not toxic like plastic. Yeah, if you just do, and try going for like three days and refilling a plastic bottle. Yeah. Like, and just leaving it in the sun. and Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. They crack if they're frozen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with stainless steel, if you do single wall, so not the insula- I like insulated bottles, but for camping, if you do single wall, you can boil water in that in a emergency situation mm-hmm. you can boil water and stay and then, or if you're out hunting you could add warm water to it and it stays warm because i've had well that's if you do the insulated one yeah oh yeah. okay okay so okay. if you so for boiling the water don't do insulated because it'll explode in the fire but it's Ooh. nice to have both well i mean yeah or you could just add it the boiling water to it if you got 
But I'm just saying, like, yeah. if you don't have anything else, you're like, oh, exactly. man, yeah. I just have this water Hardcore bottle. Hardcore water bottle. But yeah. yeah. Well, like, so, yeah, if you don't have anything else, you're going ultra minimal, Rory style. If you're going Rory style, yeah. Then that, if, that water bottle is your bottle and your cook stove. Well, and if, <laughs> if you're like me and you like to build a fire and get some water going. Yeah. You know. Like, well, that's, yeah, when you're more prepared. Yeah, when you're more prepared. Or you don't like, have to worry about those emergencies. Exactly, but if you're, like, going hard, going, like, going way out there then yeah minimalist backpacking trip yep so my next one is fire but i put knife in here too because your knife can double as your fire tool and it helps build a fire kit so quality knife and a ferro steel if you have a ferro steel and a quality knife you can strike the steel with the knife the back of the knife not your edge get a spark going um and the knife will also help you carve sticks for hand drill or bow drill or get kindling uh, kindling or um the resin that's on like uh pitch, pitch. yeah pitch wood thank you yeah the resin that's on pitch wood so i kind of put those together and then the fourth one is a way to purify water so whether that's like you learn a method like straining through a bandana getting it in the water bottle or the your cook pot and then boiling that you know that's kind of a more traditional method like straining it in some way or getting just a good water filter like i have a nice little pump filter and i did do like a minimalist backpack with rory this summer and you know he was doing it like gathering it was raining the entire time so he's like gathering rain water through a bandana and i was like i'm just gonna pump with this and you know what like he used my pump so (laughs) i will say that like the pump is definitely helpful and then next a simple cook pot something lightweight that you can put other stuff inside of you can even put some of your food in it it's nice and lightweight and you can cook with it over a fire or over a stove um the next one's a poncho so ponchos are really helpful because they you know rory gathered water with that you can use it as a shelter you're a portable shelter walking around mm-hmm. so you can you can travel and stay out of the elements um then yeah portable stove is really helpful yeah it's they're more, not much they're pretty cool yeah you can get yeah they're really not much i mean yeah. a jet boil that's nice. That's like 60 bucks, but you can get ones that are even cheaper mm-hmm. that are even more minimalist. Yeah. They have like small little single burner ones mm-hmm. and those things get going. Like it's they crank. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while. The first time, like I had it on, like I, I couldn't, I didn't turn it up all the way mm. and I'm like, man, this thing sucks. Like it's taking forever to boil this thing. And then like, when I got home, I was messing in my garage, and it's like, Poof! I'm like, oh, yeah. damn, there they're, you go. Yeah. I was like, shit. Yeah, so portable stoves are really handy. I mean, they're, I use them even when I do, like, car camping and stuff. Yeah, seriously. Super useful. Um, and then, a, like, a quality backpack. Yeah, exactly. You know, just a quality, like, you can go backpacker style. And when I first, you know, I, I grew up in Colorado, and so I've been camping and hiking pretty much all my life but I never looked at it from the hunter's perspective. And honestly, from like the hunting perspective, you might as well just get a good pack frame, Mm -hmm. you know, like a good pack frame. You can, it can be modular so you can put bigger and smaller packs on it. You can, they're designed to pack out hundreds Hundreds of pounds, hundreds of pounds. So you can put like excess gear on there if you want to. Um, so that those are great. Like I think if I could buy everything all over again, so I don't have like a hundred backpacks or however many I have. I would just go with more pack frame style stuff, but I do like simple day bags too. Like a good day yeah. bag is obviously really nice. Um, and then a hunting or a fishing tool. So if you're into eating meat or fish or animals, then this is for you. Not necessary. 
But it's nice to have like a bow or a fishing rod or a rifle. It's something that you obviously aren't going to take out every time you're in nature, but it's, it's a good tool to practice with that you can be confident in while you are in nature. So if it's bow season, obviously you're used to using a bow, hiking around with a bow. But a, a Tenkara fly rod is really fun because fi- you get a fishing license. I think in most states you can fish year-round with it. So if you have a Tenkara fly rod, you're hiking somewhere and you're like, oh, you know what, I'm going to do a couple casts in the creek right here. Super easy to set up, super easy to break down. And that's just like a fun way to interact with the landscape more than just hiking through it. You have like a little bit of an activity. And so when you're out there, like you can bring less food because you are motivated to get food. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a fun way to do it. Like, all right, I'm going to intentionally bring less food so that I have to fish and then I'm going to eat these fish. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so that's, that's on my list. And then number 10 is bandanas and a gather cloth. I used to not think this was that important until I started like really using them and hanging out with Rory more and Matt. Oh my God, a bandana is so useful. Yeah. It's like one of the most useful things I've ever had camping. I like just the, the most recent experience. I like, I slipped, I was hiking, slipped, holding my rifle in this huge puddle of mud. So I, I had to save my rifle cause I don't want to land on the scope don't want to get mud in the barrel and I just get covered hands and feet in mud and all I had was a bandana tied to my bag I'm like okay like untie it clean myself up with the bandana and then you can wash it off and you can use it for so many other things you can use it to start fires like there's there's lots of options with yeah, it yeah I really r- realized <coughs> this uh from, for first aid first aid like, yeah I cut my leg on this hike and I was like way up high by myself and I just like got down to the shin like i could see my shin bone basically and it was just bleeding bad and like i had to just tourniquet style like mm. tie it off and i i just cranked it laid down in the shade for a little bit with my foot elevated and just drank water and tried to chill out and like i had to stop the bleeding but if i didn't have that bandana it would have been a lot harder yeah so i think carrying a bandana is, is super important you would have had to gather yarrow and pack it into your wound totally and then they're cool like when you're hiking and sweating and if you got long hair you can tie it back and like you mm-hmm. can like sometimes i'll take a nap and i'll just like put it as like eye cover because mm-hmm. i'm like i'm all about like not having sun in my eyes when i'm sleeping mm-hmm. <laughs> well and I, one thing i i got this idea from matt a long time ago when i was he was first kind of teaching me about like what to get for hunting um and i don't, I don't think he intended to tell me this but he was like oh yeah i lost my backpack one time because everything's camo everything's green <laughs> yeah. and he he like walked away from me he's like fuck i can't find it and so i think you told me you tied a bandana to it later mm-hmm. and so i started i started doing that because i love like nature tones when i'm in nature i want to blend in i don't want to pop out i want to be like invisible in nature at least when i'm like hiking and camping and hunting when i'm skiing it's it's good to be seen you don't want to run into people you don't want to camouflage yourself going 40 miles an hour totally but like you know everything else though i like to have everything kind of blend in but i will tie an orange bandana to my bag because mm-hmm. then i can set it down and it's really easy to pick out of the environment be like exactly. oh there's my stuff exactly especially in a thick wooded area or if it's like dusk or dawn it's like super early like yeah so that's like a that's a cool little trick so i like that a lot yeah and these 10 items are definitely important to take out there with you yeah these are the things it's like if you forget your sleeping pad or if you forget 
I don't know what, what whatever you're gonna forget on a camping trip. It's like there's like a, yeah, there's lots of little things, little things. But like these ten, you'll be good to go. Oh, you'll be great. You'll be good. Yeah, and I mean, I I would go to these like ridiculous like keggers in the woods and stuff like camping parties, and I would show up with nothing, you know, and I just fall asleep in the back of my car every single time, or on the ground sometimes, and wake up and it's like thirty degrees. Like, oh man. This is brutal. I was young. I was 16, 17, <laughs> just being a kid. But that, it really was a lesson to me that like, oh man, like we're very capable. Oh yeah. And so a little goes a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, these little simple things go a very long way. Yeah. And just be aware too that it does take a little bit of time to get conditioned, but don't let that hold you back. Mm-hmm. Almost think about it as like motivation. It's like, oh man, if I spend all of 2021, like going out there learning the elements, learning some, some new ways and just slowly start accumulating gear. Mm-hmm. And then 2022, I'll go on some more adventurous backpacking trips. It's like, just work your way up to it, but don't mm-hmm. let it hold you back from starting. And if you're already a camper and you like to get out there, it's like, think of ways to up your game. Yeah. You know, like try getting more in touch with it. And don't always think that necessarily like going extreme and doing all these hardcore like hikes or backpacking trips, but like trying to incorporate more mindfulness into it. Yeah. And get like, get to know your land. Yeah. Like I, there in Colorado, we have, I think the most 14ers of any place in the world, or at least any place in North America mm-hmm. in one province or state, you know, mm-hmm. so we have 52, 54. And it's like a really popular thing to be like, let's go climb a 14er. Like yeah. we're doing a 14er. You know, most of the most amazing places I've been in Colorado are not 14 Exactly. Those are like the least places to go because there's so many people. And yeah, there's this- a trail and there's a parking lot. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would I do that when I could drive on this sweet off-road trail and go backpack into this area where nobody's at? Yeah, I'd rather climb a, 12, 000, a 12-er. And that's... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've, I've hit so many 12-ers like roughnecking with some buddies. Wow. And, and they're like, so cool. And no trail. There's no one on there. And like we're just... Just romping up the side of this twelve thousand foot. Amazing yeah. stuff. It's like, oh, look at all those guys over there on that trail. Like, well, and, and before we move on there, like to kind of expand on that point of going with very little. Like, if you guys know Otsi the Iceman, he's the mm, yeah yeah. So he was found in the Alps between like the Italian and Austrian border, mm-hmm. right? And this guy had like nothing with him. He, he was shirtless. He, he had, had tattoos. Did he have tattoos? Okay, yeah. But I know he was shirtless. He had like some like moccasin type boots on, but like shorts. So he had like the boots and then he had like a loincloth pretty much. And then he had a bag, a satchel, and he had a little like a stone knife. And then he had, uh, it wasn't chaga mushroom, but it was birch polypore mushroom, which they used to start fires with. Okay. And he had like a little bit of food. That's all he had. This dude's in the middle of the Alps, like hiking around, and then yeah. he's found in a glacier. So he literally died in a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. The guy was going without, and the reason he died is because he got shot by an arrow in the back. In the back, and so like it makes you wonder, like, what was this guy doing? Yeah. Was it like a warring tribe? Was he a convict? Or yeah, like, that would have been so cool to like go back in time and talk to him. But regardless, this dude made it wherever he was going. Like he was like, oh, I'm. I have enough. Yeah, in yeah. the Alps. <laughs> in like, the Alps, yeah, I have enough. He didn't have, like, these crazy Solomon, like, high-tech boots and, like, you know, have all this stuff. And this was a modern human, you know, yeah. 5,000 years old. Genetically like, no different than us. Yeah, so, and it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, he's just all conditioned and tough. Like, mm-hmm. imagine if we could, like, go back in time 
Or if we could just like thaw him out and like, <laughs> like it's like Austin Powers, he's like still alive. Like, whoa. yeah, he comes back, <laughs> takes a really long pee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still, I don't know what they say. It's like keep or keep going, urinate. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, then kind of moving forward with that, it's how oh, I lost my train of thought, honestly. But yeah. <laughs> and and that's that's where I, I really do look at the outdoors, like weight training, and like because me and Nate are like complete nerds about you know, training variables and programs and Every, everything we do. Yeah. <laughs> and there's all, there's like factors to everything. And so when you're new to weightlifting, it's like you come in, you learn the basics. Yeah. You learn how to brace your core. You learn about neutral spine. You know, you master the, the hip hinge and the, the squat. You learn how to do pull-ups and push-ups. Mm. That's how it is the outdoors. Like it, it is a very complex topic and area and like you walk into rei and you're like oh my god what is all this stuff so just start simple you know and really just spend more time outdoors and start to get conditioned to it even as simple as like go on walks in the cold Mm -hmm. literally even if you're in the city it's like go on a walk at night in the cold well and i will say about rei like when you go in there like wow look at all this stuff REI is like designed to like bring your house outside. Yeah. That's yeah. like what, which is dope kind of like, cool. it's kind of cool. Like I like having a French press when I'm camping, yeah, uh, like yeah, it's yeah. sweet, you know, but that's, that's what it's there for. Yeah. That's what they do. And, and it's expensive. They make a lot of money. They make a lot of money. It's very, very expensive. I would do, I'm all about the military surplus store. I mean, I get the discount, which is one thing, but they just have better gear in my opinion. Like, I, oh, like, yeah. I like old school military stuff. Like, yeah, I, I kind of like both. I think there's some yeah. great stuff with REI. I think it, when it comes to clothing, though, like REI has way better clothing. Oh yeah, they got like cool stuff. Their clothing, like, movement gear. And stuff. Well, and like their their actual like camping stuff, like their sleep systems yeah. and like their their cook pots and stuff. I mean, it's got, the technology has come really far. Mm-hmm. They have some great stuff. Yeah, and so if you're new to camping, it's like you got no excuses. Like you got you can get some really really good gear, and. You know, get out there yeah and so when you do get out there this is something that I, I now that I have a, a soapbox I want because it drives me crazy and Matt kind of alluded to it earlier finding trash and all this stuff outside have have interact with the land have respect have fun but have respect if you're gonna shoot a gun outside clean your shells up exactly it's not it's not hard yeah like a good a good tactic get a thick tarp lay it down, shoot on top of the tarp, all your shells are on it, mm-hmm. pick the tarp up, walk, dump it out. Or if you go out. out with like your nephews and cousins, like make them pick it up. Yeah, 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 I do that with my nephews. I do that with my nephews. Hey, pick up this shit. Yeah, <laughs> make them learn how to do it. And But like don't, a big thing, this is huge. Try not to bring glass into nature. Yeah, that's fucked up. Um, I mean, if you're at a campsite and you know you got like a glass bottle or whatever, a bottle of wine, Try to pour it into something metal, bring mm-hmm. a st- like a steel pint, yeah. you know, and then keep that like in your car, in your tent. Mm-hmm. But glass shattering in nature isn't just annoying for the next person coming to camp, but it's really bad for the wildlife mm-hmm. and it's really bad for the ecosystem. Same with throwing plastic in the fire, blowing shit up. Like, <laughs> it's not I, like this, this is just my opinion, it's, yeah. but. It, it's definitely like really annoying yeah, and, and it's bad vibes and like what goes around comes around yeah no it's and it's like it's toxic energy that you're yeah. putting out into nature and into the ecosystem mm-hmm. and then another thing too is usually there's other campers around 
Yeah. So don't be those fucking jackasses that are <laughs> shooting guns at two in the morning or like yeah. lighting fireworks and like being stupid, you know? Which there, which is like blows me away because yeah. I'm like, that's for sure like illegal in yeah. most parks. Yeah. Like, and Mother Nature is sacred. Going back to the primitive hunter mindset, like that's what they understood. Like all cultures of humanity all over the world were animists. Mm. So they believed all all living organisms had a spirit and you can connect to them and you can all things all things yeah Yeah. and people don't think that way anymore they think god is in a church or they think god is in a book when in fact god is all of nature is all everything it is everything it's either everything or nothing Mm -hmm. and it's uh you know to kind of get off topic a little bit when you look at early christianity Early, 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 before the Romans adopted it and used it as a system of control. Mm-hmm. Early Christianity was the church of the house and the church of nature. It was the church of the wild. And so their churches were everywhere. They were scattered in the wild. They were considered barbarians. and they would, Or they would bring the church into the home. And what church of the house means is it's where you make it. It's where you, have, where you hold ceremony, where you hold ritual. And early Christianity was not too far off from animism. It was it was the sense that there is a greater force binding everything and that it is here for us, but not in the sense that like, oh, like God fucked me over. Why would God do this? People people humanize God. You always hear like, oh, if God was real, like this person wouldn't have died. It's like, nah, it's not like that. Like it's that it's a unifying field of everything. And so that original idea was people who were in nature, communed with nature, and that was where the, the early system of it came out. And then it, it became very adulterated and all kinds of problems happened exactly. later. But we don't need to talk about that right the now. The separation occurred. Yeah, the separation of like priesthood and there's back to the vertical thinking of class mm-hmm. systems and like, oh, you have to talk to me if you want to talk to God because exactly. I can talk to God. And then most of the population couldn't read latin or understand it yeah and they're conducting and they made and they made them feel like they had to understand it in order to understand god Mm -hmm. which is not true because nature is god and you know Mm -hmm. the universe all of it and that's yeah we'll we'll probably have a conversation about these taboos at some point (laughs) but again being out in nature isn't just about going on a hike or taking a cool picture or sitting by a fire, drinking beers. All those things are really cool. It's just an aspect. It's just an aspect. But the overall goal that me and Nate are trying to get to you guys is being able to find yourself in nature, being able to like come in touch with your ancestors, like mm-hmm. looking up at the stars and thinking like, man, this is what my ancestors used to do. This is what humans used to do. Like really go deeper than just like, I'm going camping this weekend mm-hmm. and I'm going to get drunk and not remember any of it. And I'm mm-hmm. going to break a bunch of bottles and shoot guns, mm-hmm. take pictures and post them on my social media. Mm-hmm. It's like, no man, like go out there like Jesus did and take bare essentials and like meditate on things. Like think about stuff like answers will come to you. I've learned so many lessons out there that no one could have taught me. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it, it came to me from nature. Yeah. You know, she is, the most beautiful, amazing teacher, and so many of us don't tap into her knowledge. Well, it's really incredible how you can like come to that in many different ways out out in nature. So you can. I have plant forager friends. 
I've got rock climber friends. I've got hunter friends, mountain bikers, you know, but like any, any one of them who I know really well and who I know has spent a significant amount of time doing that activity outside has an enormous reverence for nature. Mm-hmm. Enormous. And it's because they've spent so much time interacting with it. And how whatever that is, maybe it's just their sport, but ultimately like that that path of mastery that they were on that included nature took them to these higher realizations. And so like maybe you're just like trail running and then you just kind of like start to explore and like you're really feeling your body and you're like feeling into yourself and you're focusing on your breath the whole time because you're running, but you're in nature and everything's so diverse and you're like, whoa, like you have this epiphany like on the trail run, it becomes meditative. Or likewise for like a plant forager who's looking at all the different species around them and really understands the soil and all that. So it's, it's very fascinating and it's a, you know, we could probably talk about this for a long time. Exactly. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. And when you can go out there with friends or family, it's even more significant. Mm-hmm. You know, like the connection that happens is amazing. And some of my best memories are out there, you know, with my dad or with my cousins and just exploring and wandering and just completely engulfed in it. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to describe that feeling. And if you haven't felt it in a while, it definitely means that you need to get out there. Yeah. And... The whole goal of this podcast was just to motivate you guys and to let you know that it's never too late to get out there and make some goals and try and learn new ways, learn new skills. And we're here to help with that. Mm -hmm. So reach out to us. We're going to be doing a lot more outdoor workshops, survival workshops with Rory. So if you're in the Denver area, in the Colorado region, like, definitely reach out to us Mm -hmm. you know check out our website hit us up and if you're if you're physically not active and you need help with the program we could definitely help with that yeah don't let your physical capabilities hold you back yeah because and again you're far more capable than you think you are exactly we we're of the anti-fragile mindset we we think everyone has that capability to be a natural navigator Mm -hmm. a great hunter like quote unquote like you're you're capable to be a great outdoorsman or whatever you want to be so and my mother she's navajo my dad's norwegian and i think back i think a lot i'm like man if my ancestors could see me now would they be proud Mm. you know and i challenge you guys to think about that think about your heritage think about your great 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 fucking grandpa who was a badass and if he saw you now what would he think of you Mm. that's a heavy thought yeah straight up mm-hmm. so that's what we're here for guys and make some time to get out there it'll, it'll, it'll be worth it yep over and out thank you guys bye, bye.